enjoyed listening alongside you this season as Catherine joined Margarita in rich discussions with important people in her life who described the places they made come alive with possibilities. I appreciated hearing about Aaron's efforts to ensure that Boys and Girls Club staff reflect the community and about Kelly's commitment to ensure that her values as a librarian come through in her work with teens and how much relationships drive both Becky's proactive approach to school nursing and Stephanie's empowering work as a school counselor. These four practitioners made it clear that while Margarita is exceptional, she was not the exception in their work. This is their approach and commitment to all of Portland's teens. Today, I'm glad to be back in conversation with Margarita to reflect across the season and hear more about her transition back to Portland, Maine, and what she's doing now as a young leader. So Margarita, it's great to be back with you. The series that we just completed was amazing in terms of the amount of insights it gave into not just how these adults helped your life, but how these adults see their roles very differently and understand how they can not only just complement what happens in school, but supplement what happens in your life and your family's life and your sibling's life in a way that I think a lot of us really hadn't thought about that deeply, that they come at their professions from different places, which give them different opportunities. So that really struck me in the conversations that you had with the four incredible women. And I just wanted to start with asking you a couple of questions about things that came out that were a little more personal about you as you were doing the interviews. So one thing is, Margarita, you you clearly had an incredible high school experience and a unique one, supplemented by not just an, an incredible set of teachers, but by your nurse, your counselor, and all the staff in the school. That really does seem to have been affirmed as being very unique to Costco Bay and not to other high schools, even the one you share a campus with. But I was wondering for not just young people in general, but who are in schools that are not as special as Costco Bay, what role does the library and the Boys and Girls Club play in their life or other organizations? What does it mean for those organizations to step up and support young people who aren't in a unique high school experience? So for a lot of my peers who didn't go to Casco Bay High School or who don't go to Casco Bay High School, I know that the Boys and Girls Club and the library were like a safe space for them outside of school because, you know, school isn't safe for everyone. Not everyone necessarily likes the school that they go to. So the Boys and Girls Club was always that place where they would find friends that are not attending their specific school, but friends who they're close with. And they find people and adults and mentors who are outside of the school, who are not just their teachers, but people who can support them inside and outside of school. So it's a really impactful resource to have because people who go to school and home don't, you know, they don't have fun all the time. But if you have a place like the Boys and Girls Club or the library, you know that after school, at least I can have some fun if I didn't have a good day at school. In listening to... Ms. Blue and Ms. Dole, both of them referenced the fact that your plans changed, that you came back to Portland. And I'm wondering if since in both the, the interview that we did with Ron Berger and in the earlier episodes, you referenced the incredible opportunity that you had to go to Colgate, if you could share a little bit about what happened, what's been the journey from Ms. Dole sort of pushing you and nudging you to apply for the scholarship, to getting to Colgate, to coming back home? Yeah, so, I mean, during the beginning of my senior year of high school, 
I applied for the scholarship called Questbridge, which is a national scholarship, and I matched with Colgate University. So I, I got an offer, four years, full ride, housing, tuition, everything paid for. Very exciting. My parents were excited. My teachers were excited. I went into Colgate thinking that, yes, I'll be here for all of the next four years of school, and I will enjoy, have a good time. I will make the most of the opportunity that I've just gotten because, you know, Getting a full ride is a big deal, especially to such an amazing school like Colgate University. But unfortunately, my first semester did not go as planned. I got really sick on campus. I ended up in the ER, like in the first month of school. And when I would go to the student health center, unfortunately, I was not getting the care that I needed. I wasn't really being checked out. And I know that this is very common. I have conversation with friends and apparently this is very common in a lot of school campuses where you go visit the nurse and all she gives you is ibuprofen and tells you to drink a lot of water. And honestly, that ibuprofen and a lot of water was not doing enough for me. And when I came home for winter break, I went to go see the doctor and then they were like, oh, your anemia is coming back, your um, low iron deficiency vitamin D deficiency. And those were things that I didn't find out that was going on in my health when I was at Colgate. And overall, like it was really hard for me to just be social with everyone because new environment, upstate New York, you know, it's not New York City. So just having to adapt to the where the school is, the location of the school, the people surrounding me. Colgate, unfortunately, isn't a very diverse school. So it was hard to adapt, not only because I'm like a black girl, but because I'm also African. So there was not a lot of other African peers that could relate to my background, that could relate to what I was talking about, and just in general. So I decided to withdraw from Colgate University during winter break, and then I came back home. And when I came back home, one of the first places that I actually visited was Casco Bay High School. I came back to my school. I came to talk to my guidance counselor. That's During that time, I thought that for my own health, not only physical, but mental and emotional, I was planning to take a semester off. And that's when she advised me to maybe apply to USM or SMCC, which are the colleges and university here um, in Maine. So because I was out of state, so staying closer to home maybe would help me like to better my health because I would have actual access to the healthcare that I've been getting throughout the past years. But I'll also be closer to home. So if I needed like better food, I could always drive home and eat. So I ended up applying to SMCC and I'm currently a student there and I'm planning to get an associate's degree in health science. And throughout this whole process, the Boys and Girls Club and Casco Bay High School have been helping me with finding scholarships because I don't qualify for FAFSA. So it's really a different type of task looking for scholarships specifically for asylum seekers because not everything will cater to me. So the Boys and Girls Club and Casco Bay is really uh, playing a great role in helping me find um, the scholarships that will help me and just making me like map out my way after coming back home and leaving Colgate. That's an incredible story. I'm glad you're back and getting the health care that you need to have and also just back and closer to home. I want to stay on this a little bit because both the fact that you were able to sort of be comfortable making this decision so quickly. And I know it wasn't an easy decision to walk away from four years full ride and come back home, but I expect it also was a little bit nervous of, you know, I got this great opportunity and now I'm coming back. But somehow it seems that as you came back, your family, the folks at Costco Bay, the folks at the Boys and Girls Club, you never felt like you had failed. You just felt like you needed to change plans. And that's so important for young people 
when they're given this kind of opportunity. And often it doesn't fit well. When they come back, they have to feel like they failed. They somehow wasted an opportunity. So can you talk a little bit about how, if you have peers that have experienced this and haven't had the same support coming back, did you feel at all nervous coming back to tell people, I got this great ride, but I'm back here and have to start over again? Did you feel at all nervous about that? Or were you confident that these people always would have your back if you explained why it was in your best interest to return home? I mean, I feel like the hardest explanation I had to give was to my parents because throughout my whole like education so far, I always like, till now, I always make sure to tell them that I don't want them to worry about paying for my school. I mean, they could contribute if they could, but like being a low income family, that also means that I have limits. I can't just go to any school if I can't afford it. But also that's why I've always looked for scholarship. I always tell my friends like apply, 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 because you know, free money is going to go a long way. But so knowing that I had those four years covered and just like walking away from it, it was really hard because if I wasn't sick all the time, my mom would not let me come back. <laughs> no matter how unhappy I was, if my, like, if my health was okay, she would not let me come back home. She would let me stay there for four years and finish. And my teachers were really, really supportive because they felt like I was prioritizing myself. If you're not happy somewhere, happy and healthy, you're not going to succeed. And my teachers um, completely understood that. And they were open to helping me find out, like, besides being sick, like, what else, like, didn't fit in? Why couldn't you fit in and all that? So it was hard to come back and know that, yes, I'll have to answer a lot of questions. You know, there's still people that I meet in the, like, the grocery store. They're like, oh, Margarita, you're back. And I'm like, yeah, I transferred out of Colgate. And they're like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> and they have to give them the whole story over and over again. So it's just like, it's hard, but I'm happy that I never felt like I downgraded or failed myself because I know that I've worked hard to get there, but I'm still working hard because I can be great anywhere I go. That's really wonderful. I listened to the interviews all yesterday in anticipation of our call, and there's just so much in them. I hope that our listeners actually took the time to listen to all of them. But I wondered, you knew all these people. Obviously, you brought this constellation of adults to us but you hadn't probably had a chance to reflect on how they influence your life together. At the end of doing this interviews and, and co-hosting this series with us, did you have any new insights or reflections on what it meant for these adults to all be in your life in different ways? Yeah, there's a saying that it takes a village to raise a child. You know, my parents, they try, but they cannot raise me by themselves, especially with the fact that we moved to the U.S. There are a lot of things that my parents are not able to help me with, not because they don't want to, but because they can't or they don't understand. So those other adults and mentors that I was able to meet throughout like my high school career and that I'm still in contact with, they played a really big role. Like I always go back into saying how if Miss Doyle didn't send me that scholarship, I would have applied for the scholarship. I wouldn't have known about the scholarship. I wouldn't tell my other friends to apply and I wouldn't tell future generations to apply if I wasn't in contact with her. And with the Boys and Girls Club, making an impact with people that I was once in their shoes. And I needed a teenage Black girl to help me as another Black female that just moved into the U.S. So being able to meet those people and understanding how much they impacted my life and being able to give back to those same people and organizations, it's like, it's a pleasure for me. Whether I'm getting paid or not, I always go back. If I can help, I will help. 
So talk a little bit about how you're actually giving back now that you're back in the community. I know you're working in particular with Portuguese students, uh, Portuguese immigrants. Talk a little bit about what that means to keep giving back. Yeah, so I remember when I first came back to Portland, actually, and I came to visit Casco Bay, I was looking for a job. And Ms. Doyle was actually the person that told me, like, we're looking for more people. So, you know, there's alumni that are applying, so you should apply. It was because of Ms. Doyle that I applied to work at Casco Bay High School. I started going back to the club, connecting with Aaron, talking about my experience, that I'm looking for new scholarships and all of that. And just me hanging out at the Boys and Girls Club after work and after school, as I used to back in high school, my supervisor, Jen, saw that you're always here after school. Like, you should work here, you know, like, don't just sit and hang out. Like, you can get paid for your hours. So that's how I ended up applying for the Boys and Girls Club. And I'm happy that I'm helping people that I can actually relate to and they can relate to me because it's hard when you don't have other people to connect you in a certain level. You know, like here at Casco Bay, I'm always seeing like my fellow people from Angola. I'm seeing my other immigrant fans as album seekers. And it's like, it's a different type of connection that you have knowing that there's an employee in the building that completely understands where you're coming from, completely understands who you are as a person inside and outside of school. And the thing that I really like about both working at Casco Bay and Boys and Girls Club is that it's connected. I see these kids at Casco Bay High School and I see them again after school at the Boys and Girls Club. So it's like a continuous friendship and connection that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to get. So I'm happy that I'm able to give back knowing that I'm still impacting the kids and they're also impacting me in the same way. How much do you think what you just said is understood by those young people, by your near peers? How much do they really see this having someone who's lived in their shoes and is not that much older than them now be an official employee of these important institutions? Do they talk about it? Do they acknowledge it? They think, okay, you came back from Colgate, but now you've got this cool job. What do they say? I mean, it's, it's all like mixed feelings because some of them, till this day, some of them were like, why are you back? Like, wh- why are you here? Like, you graduated, go somewhere else, you know, like, go explore. And I'm like, you know, I, I generally like being here. That's the reason why I'm back. And I know that for them, it's nice because I'm an advocate for a lot of them, both here and at the Boys and Girls Club. If something happens, they know Margarita is the nice one. <laughs> Before going to the, like the stricter teachers and stuff like that, they'll come and talk to me. Like I'm supposed to be telling them, go to class and stuff like that. But I understand that sometimes the student needs a break. So sometimes I'll be like, oh, so how's your day going? Do you need help with the work? Because I did this work, what, two or three years ago. I Some of them is still fresh in my mind. So a lot of them do recognize that it's nicer to have someone who recently graduated, someone who's as young as them. Because, you know, a lot of these kids at the school, I was in high school with them. <laughs> so it's like we're peers. And I know there's different boundaries now because I'm an employee and not like student to student. But it's nice to know that you have a friend who's in the building. It sounds, as you were talking about being an advocate for the students and taking the time to get to know what they need, etc. I heard the voices of all the adults that were interviewed and how this was a very much intentional part of what they did and why they did it. How much did sort of having the experience of working with these incredible adults broaden your understanding of what it really means to do sort of relationship-driven youth work? I've said this in a prior episode that the reason why these adults are so impactful in not only my life, but the lives of my other peers is because they're passionate about what they do and they know the meaning behind their work. 
And I'm starting to understand the more I stay in this work and do these jobs, the more I understand that if you know the purpose of your whole job and if you know the purpose of you as a person, that's how you're going to know how to help everybody. You can't help everyone, but you will at least know how to help and cater to different people in different ways. I'm really struck by your summation of passion and purpose as what makes these people so incredible. But also, as we listen to them, the fact that their purposes are actually slightly different. They all are driven by working with young people, having relationships with young people, and doing something that's slightly different from teaching. But they also talked about purpose being slightly different from each other. So the nurse talked about what it means to really just sort of step in, get out of the building, get out of the office, and work with young people, and be there in a way that you talked about being there. The counselor talked about how she'd gone off thinking she wanted to be a teacher, but recognized that she really got her energy from working one-on-one problem-solving with young people. And then the librarian was just, the librarians have a core set of values that we have to uphold. We have to stick with our values. We have to stick with our core. We have to stick with our beliefs. We are about access. We are about equity. We are about literacy. We are about all young people being able to, all people in general, being able to have access to all the information that they need to have. And so those value systems that they have and the connections that they have are different from the connections that teachers have. Not better, worse, just different. And it seems to be that the fact that you were able to benefit from not just having teachers who were incredible, but having these other roles that were quite different but overlapping, you and your peers are in something very special. So I left the series of interviews thinking I need to visit Portland, Maine, and understand what's going on there, because there is something really in the water that really does make this a community, a village that's working with young people. Yeah, you should definitely come visit Portland. Everyone is so nice, like literally everyone. (laughs) Are there final reflections as we wrap this up that you want to offer, either to adults, to young people, to anybody who could be listening? Yes, you just said how all those different adults, they play different roles in a student's life, in a teenager's life. But at the end of the day, as much as they all have different careers, different jobs, different titles, I feel like they have the same end goal, which is to help. To help and support and make sure that whoever has access to them is thriving and succeeding in what they want to succeed in and thrive in. So I hope that every adult is open to becoming a mentor to kids because, you know, teenagers, my generation needs mentors. You can't be successful without a mentor. You need someone that's able to guide you and protect you when you need to be protected throughout different steps and um, different milestones in your life. When we made the decision to shift this season to focus on Portland, Maine and the key adults from Margarita's life, I knew we were going to hear from adults who use their professional roles fully to help young people beat the odds. I was blown away, however, by the power of the community we uncovered this season. Portland, Maine is changing the odds for youth, particularly immigrant youth, through their incredible intentionality. What Margarita shared in our conversation today echoed what we heard directly in the interviews. Relationships are built to last. Supports don't end when school ends or when high school diplomas are handed out. As you reflect on this season, what elements of the collaborations we heard about in Portland, Maine are present in your community? In what ways are the talents, values, and passions of the people whose jobs it is to support youth fully leveraged? Are there centrally located places for young people to offer possibilities for them to find their own pathways? And what stories can you lift up to highlight the power of relationships when coordinated to change the odds? 
Thank you for joining us for season two of the Changing the Odds Remix podcast. We'd love to hear from you about what you'd like to hear from us in future seasons. Visit us at changingtheoddsremix.com, sign up for our newsletter, and follow us on social media to keep up to date on all of our Changing the Odds Remix publications and conversations. Mm -hmm.